So welcome back to part three of our series on what we call Vision 2020. So what God is doing in this church and this year for the glory of Christ. There's a lot of, as you've heard, there's a lot of really exciting things happening. And we're going to share an announcement at the end of the service too. So we're going to add on to the excitement and the joy for you. But our goal this year and really for the next years to come is we want to see Jesus Christ conquer St. Clair County. One gospel conversation at a time. And, and why is that important? Because um, I'm leading an, an evangelism class on Wednesday night, and we've been praying for people in our life that need to follow Christ, that need to be devoted to Christ. And um, I had a conversation this week for someone that we have, as a group have been praying for. And when we pray and ask God for opportunities, he graciously and abundantly gives every single time. So today, really the third part of our vision series is what we're going to call mission. So this is the go, do something. So today is the mission of Christ in our life. Uh, let, me, let me start with a sporting event. I, we love sports at our house. We're about to, after the Super Bowl, we enter like the, the dark season for the next several months in our world. Uh, so we're holding on for dear life for the next two weeks. Even though the saints aren't in it anymore, we're still, um, we're, we're trying to get over that. Um, but many of you have heard, I don't know if you've raced in it, but you've heard of a um, snowmobile race or a dog sledding race now in Alaska called the Iditarod. Let me share the origin of that race because I think it's a great illustration of what we want to be as the people of God. Every year, riders get together and they ride 1,000 miles from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome, Alaska. And this takes days for them to complete their journey. But the origin of the Iditarod did not begin as a sporting event. You see, in 1925, hundreds of children in Nome were dying of diphtheria. And at this time, there was no vaccination, but there was a serum that would alleviate that and, and give health and life to those who were dying. So people got together in Anchorage and said, if we try, if we move right now, we can bring life-changing syrup to these kids, over hundreds of kids in Nome. So they got together and they sequenced themselves where they would hand off like a baton over 300,000 units of life-saving serum. So it took 150 dogs and more than 20 mushers. A musher is someone that sits behind the dogs and says, mush, right? That's what, so they call them mushers. It took 20 people in a sequence and 150 dogs to bring this life-giving elixir to these kids. Here's what's awesome about the story. They call this first race the Great Race of Mercy. They completed over 1,000 miles in 127 hours. That record has never been broken. Today, though, the Iditarod um, is now just another sporting event. It's no longer a life-saving race. The teams race a similar path as the great race of mercy. But the motivation is different. 
They still tie their sleds behind their dogs, but they are not racing to save lives anymore. And because the motivation is different, the urgency is different. Because the motivation is different, the record will not be broken. And I begin to think of the origin of the Iditarod this week because the cold weather finally is upon us. We've been waiting for winter since November. Here it is. And I begin to think, God, how often do I use this time of worship as a sporting event and not what it truly is? This is where Jesus Christ changes lives. When the people of God gather in the name of God. But how often do I and do we as a church treat this time, our race, as a sporting event and not a transformational, life-changing race? So I want us to get back to our origins today. I want us to get back to the place where we say, this is life-changing. Let's go. Let's give it all that we have. The race is on and the stakes are high. So with that, with that in our minds and our hearts, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Because we need to get back to where we began. We need to have the urgency and the need and the devotion of what the early church, the first church, had. Because the devotion and the urgency changes the way that we race. It changes the way that we live. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. If if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 968. A life-saving mission. Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. They, I'm reading from the CSB, they is the early church, these brand new converts to Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and and distributed all their proceeds as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. So this morning, as we think of the Iditarod, as we think of the early church, let's get back to where we began. This is a life-saving mission, and I want to be a part of what God has for us. So let's pray, and then we will dive in. Father... We ask that you would mercifully send your spirit to open our hearts and our minds to know your word. Father, we believe that your word is living and active because it is inspired by the very breath of God. Lord, we confess that we cannot understand anything about you without your spirit. So Lord, may our hearts rejoice of what you are doing in us. Lord, help us get back to the mission 
Help us get back to our first love. Help us get back to the life-saving urgency of where it all began. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I cannot really think of a better place for us to get back to the basics than to look at the very first church. So Jesus has, in in Acts 2, Jesus has died on the cross. that That was in Luke. And he, three days, he rises again because God accepts the perfect sacrifice of his son. Jesus lives a sinless life and he dies a death for sinners. And he rises again and he lives on this earth and he's seen by thousands. And then he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit descends because God fills his followers with the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? And so that's Acts. And now we get to the point where thousands, 3,000 people hear the message that Jesus saves. And they ask Peter, they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says in the chapter 2 of verse 41, he says very simple, repent. Turn from yourself, turn to Jesus Christ and be baptized. And that moment, thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that leads to this they in verse 42. So look at verse 42. They, who are they? Those who have believed, those who are new in the faith. They devoted themselves. So how do we get back to the mission of what God wants us to do and be? We should be devoted people of faith. It's interesting this word devoted because um, as I looked at different scholars, almost every single person who had a Western mindset jumps right over the word devoted and we go immediately to, they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. You see, we are process-oriented in the West. Let's, we know we're supposed to be devoted, but I need to know what am I devoted to? So they jump right over, and we do the same. So it's a reminder that we are bent in a certain way. And I think God is saying to us this morning, wait, 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 wait. Come back to the first. Come back to the foundation. Come back to what is primary. Look at the early church. Those who had put their faith in Christ, all they know to do in verse 42 is what? They devoted. They devoted. So what is this devotion? I'm going to give you the Greek word so you can speak Greek when you go to the office tomorrow. It is the word proskarterio. It really means to to walk in a certain path, to walk in a certain way. It is the word to mean um, continue. It's the word that means uh, to keep close company. It's it's the word um, that used about familial and marriage relationship. It's also used in the New Testament to be a personal attendant to someone or to to get the boat ready. The, the boat was devoted to set sail. The people of God were devoted to be in communion and to be the personal attendant of Jesus Christ. 
Why is that vital in our lives? Because it's this idea that we should persist in something. Out of the ten times that this word is used in all the New Testament, six of those times are used right here to describe the early church. So if I could only use one word to describe these believers of Jesus Christ, what did they know? They had just come to faith. How much time has passed between verse 41 and 42? I don't know. Figure it out and email me. But not a lot. And all these Christians knew what to do. They said, Jesus, you have changed my life, so I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be devoted. I want to be in. I want to be ready to serve you, to persist in you. That's how we get back to the mission. So I simply want to ask, are you devoted to Jesus because someone's life is at stake? Your life is at stake? Or are you devoted because it's a sporting event? Are you devoted because it's tradition? Are you devoted because it's what you grew up doing? I was born into the church. I didn't have a choice. I was a kid that if I told my parents I'm not going to do it, they would say, oh, yes, you are. The question is not, are you going to do it? I know my mom listens to this on Mondays, and so she's going to hear this as she's going to work. The question is, Josh, how much pain do you have to go through until you do what we already know you're going to do? So that was church for me. But I look back and say, am I doing this because it's just natural pattern in my life? Or am I doing this because it is life for me? There's a major difference there. Are you fully devoted to Jesus Christ? And I believe there are times where, if we are honest, there are times where the spiritual Christian walk is merely symbolic. It is merely sport. And I want to get back to the place where that would never happen again. And when it does, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Josh, you're you're going through the motions. Get back to devotion. Get back to what is primary. Get back to your first love. So how do we do that? Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First, we need to understand that devotion, and Baptists, we particularly need to hear this. Devotion is not a moment. It is a lifestyle. Devotion is not walk an aisle, say a prayer, Wipe your hands, you're good. Devotion is give your life to Jesus Christ. And even if it costs you your life and someone else takes your life, just know that he gives you eternal life and abundant life and it is worth it. What we need to be telling our young students here is not go through the motions, go to church, that's what you're supposed to do. Now we as their parents... We owe it to them that when they get up and say, I'm not going, we say, that's so nice. Get in the car, right? But we owe it to them to say, it is worth your life. This Jesus, he is worth everything that you have. He is more important than your relationships. 
He is more important than your college. He is more important than your career. He is more important than anything else you have in your life. And you know what they're going to do? They want to be challenged to make a difference in the world. Why are young millennials and young adults fleeing the church? Because they're not making a difference. We've told them, go through the motions. This is what you should do. Be a good church person. And they say, if that's all that there is to Jesus, we are not in. But if we look at them and say, go around the world. Make a difference. Give your life. They're the first to jump on board. And I celebrate that spirit within these young people. And I want to foster that. We need to get devoted back to what is primary. Devotion is not a moment. But it begins with a moment. You see, look at the word of God again. So verse 41. Those who accepted his message and were baptized on that day, one moment. About 3,000 people were added to them. Um, This always blows my mind because... How many verses of just as I am did they have to sing for people to come up? Like the first thousand, okay, verse hundred, let's go. And can you imagine if there was a marathon time of people giving their life to Jesus Christ? What a wonderful day that would be. And that moment led to verse 42. They devoted themselves, this continual thing, so devotion is not a moment, but it always does the little things. Devotion does the daily things right and well. Look at verse 46. It says, How often were they devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and prayer and the breaking of bread? Every day. Every day they were doing these things. Devotion is not a moment. It is a lifestyle. So if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord every day, then the Holy Spirit works in you and in me every single day. The danger, if we're not careful, we will say, give your life to Christ and go on your way. Repent of your sins once and go on your way. You know what Jesus wants us to do? Continue to repent. Continue to give. Continue to serve. Continue to seek me. Does your daily rhythms cause you to devote yourself to Jesus Christ? What are you doing today that makes you love Jesus more than you did yesterday? That's why we're building in these gospel questions. That you can ask your family in the car. You can ask your coworkers, And you might be uh, um, surprised at the response. Later in the year, we're going to ask in, in our worship gathering, where is Jesus Christ seated now? Do you know what our four-year-old told me last year? She says, on the clouds. And I said, okay, Lord, I need your wisdom. Jesus is not sitting on a cloud. But he's seated at the right hand of God. And he, re- he was ascended into the clouds. And in that moment, God used this little four-year-old and her imagination about who Jesus is to work on this person. Creating natural, daily, devoted rhythms in our life. Devotion is not a moment. It begins in a moment and it is a lifestyle. Secondly, I believe that devotion doesn't require talent. Some of you are like, okay, thank you, Lord. Like devotion doesn't take talent. It takes heart. 
So listen to what Michael Jordan, yet he is the best basketball player of all time. Don't send me an email. You're wrong. Just want you to know that. In my humble opinion, I'm right. This is what Michael Jordan says about his career. He says that I have missed 9,000 shots. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. It doesn't take talent to miss all those shots. It doesn't take talent to lose all those games. But it takes heart to pick yourself up and to continue to play basketball. And how much deeper and amazing is Jesus Christ working in us? Devotion is not, look at my championships. Devotion to Jesus says, look how many times I've fallen down. And look how many times Jesus has picked me up. 9,000 times I fell down. But 9,001 times, Jesus was there. Ten million times I've sinned, but ten million and one, God forgave me. And he purified me. And he cleansed me from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you are struggling because you feel like you are a failure, I want you to know the power of Christ is not of you. It is through Jesus. And devotion to God does not take talent. It requires heart. Is your heart in it? What causes your heart to beat for Jesus Christ? For some of you, that is reading the Word of God and special portions of the Word of God. Maybe it's the Psalms or the Gospels and hearing that, your, your heart beats stronger for Christ. For some of you, it's worship music. To hear that in the car, to put it on, that helps you pray. For some of you, it's a quiet place. We have two young kids. I don't know what that is, but for some of you, it is a quiet place. What makes your heart beat for Jesus? And whatever that is, do that. Do that. And don't feel like a failure if you can't have your quiet time in the morning because your mornings are crazy. Have time with Jesus at lunch. Have time with Jesus in the evening. He's not going to say, well, Josh, you prayed tonight and you missed your morning session. I am sorely disappointed. No, the purpose of seeking Christ is that we would spend time with him in daily patterns. Weave that into your life. Devotion does not take talent. It requires heart. Also, mission. Mission requires devotion to the right things. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, let's go. Let's be devoted. I'm in. Because devotion without substance is either fanaticism or extremism. How can people hijack planes and run them into buildings and destroy everyone in the plane and everyone in the towers because they were devoted to the wrong things? We must be devoted to Jesus Christ. For the Christian, ethical and practical teaching is the ground for the central promise of Jesus Christ. They, the early church, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, right? We're in. They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to the word that was handed down to Jesus Christ. Why is it important that we weave gospel questions into our life? 
Because we need to know that God is not an it. He, he, he is a personal father. He is a personal son. He is a personal spirit that dwells within us. We must be devoted to the right thing. So how much of the word of God is in you? Put the word of God, weave that into your life. Hide his word in your heart that you might not sin so that you would love him more. Get on the Bible reading plan. We've provided one in our worship guide. Get in a program where you put the word of God in your heart. For me, it was Hebrews 11. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. Devote yourselves to the word. Be people of the book for his glory and your good. The mission of God takes devotion to the right things. And this devotion is powerful. As we're going to see, devotion to God is, is powerful. It's powerful in the fact that you can't fake it. We can't play music and put in special lighting and pump in special scents to make you devoted to God. We can get you charged up emotionally, but that's not devotion. Devotion cannot be manufactured or manipulated by man. Devotion is through the Holy Spirit. So are you in your heart seeking those daily patterns? And if you do, here's why devotion is powerful in your life. If you do, you will look back one day like a giant sequoia tree. And you will look back and you'll say, wow, look what God has done in my life. I couldn't see that I was growing every single day. But I look back and look how much shade God has provided other people because of what he's done in my life. Look at the gospel seed that has been spread throughout the forest. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was putting my head down every day and being devoted. And wow, look at what God has done. Devotion is powerful. Did you know that this local church was founded in 1832. So since 1832, and no one was here at that point. I know some of you are looking around. No one was here today that was there then. Okay, don't, don't get in trouble. But for 188 years, there's been a rich legacy of faith in this place. And I can only imagine, my prayer is that for the next 188 years, there will be men and women who are sold out daily for the purposes of Jesus. And that we will look back, I want, maybe my grandkids will look back one day and they will say, wow, for 188 years, my dad, my grandfather passed this down, his faith to my dad who's passed it down to me. God, look what you have done. That's the power of devotion. Are you in? Are you willing to run this race? And devotion, we see, never happens alone. We see the people of God devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were together. The earliest church got it. Yahweh never designed you to live without community and without fellowship. So when we Southerners come and say, well, I, can, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church. We need to look at them and give them the biblical answer. Here's the biblical response to that Southern question. You ready? Huh? 
If anyone says to you, well, I love you. I have given my life to Christ. I am sold out. I just don't worship with the other saints. The biblical answer is, huh? Because I don't find that person in Scripture. So that tells me several things. Either they don't know Jesus Christ as their portion of Lord and Savior, or they have been so far removed and beaten down that they need a brother or a sister to grab them by the hand and say, oh, you cannot be, you just don't know. You don't know the power of fellowship. You don't know the power of devotion. Here, let me bring you back into the gathering. That's the purpose of the fellowship of the saints. We are never designed to do this alone, by ourselves. That's why God desires us to be in community. This word fellowship is the same word that is used in fellowship in marriage. This personal connection. It would be like me looking at my wife and when we got married 13 years ago now. I, I, I nailed it. didn't even practice that. 13 years ago. To say, Casey, I love you, but I really never want to see you again. How foolish would that have been for me to say that? Because fellowship and marriage is about a deep devotion to one another. And the same is with the people of God. That's why life groups are vital for you to get to know. And we have groups that are on campus and off campus. And if you are not in a life group, I want to encourage you to get into a place where people will pray for you regularly. That they will know your joys and they will know your struggles and that they can pray and encourage and equip you. And if you are not in a life group, we have a group for you. Use that Green Connect card, put it in the offering basket on the way out and we will have someone reach out to you. That's why we serve together in groups because we can't do this by ourselves. We might try, but we will flame out. The Bible has knit us together for a reason. And I just believe that I, I feel the presence of God stronger in my life when I am with you. When I am praying with you. When I am serving with you. When I am seeking the community and praying for our community with you. So I encourage you to be in a group and to serve somewhere for the glory of Jesus Christ. And when you serve, do not serve by yourself. Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' words and to fellowship. And if you are not in the community of saints, the Holy Spirit's answer to you right now is, huh? God wants you to be in fellowship. That is his heart. That is his mission. And devotion takes prayer and it takes the breaking of bread with one another. And it also takes everyone takes everyone look at verse 44 they're devoting themselves daily regularly to grow to pray to eat amen to fellowship to seek the word to hear the word to grow in the word and they're also doing it together and everyone is involved verse 43 and 44 43 says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed throughout the apostles. Now, let me pause here and then we'll jump quickly away from this thought. The everyone here is not the they in verse 42. 
The everyone is the community on the outside looking at the community on the inside. When I talked about the power of devotion, the people on the outside were looking at the Holy Spirit working in the community and they were saying, wow, something is going on there. That is the power of God's people being devoted to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And the world is watching and this is what they see, verse 44. Now, all. So when the Bible uses the word all, it means all. You thought I was about to drop something um, spectacular on you, right? When the Bible says all, it means all, everyone. Everyone in the church is called to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. Let me say it another way. At least eight times in this short passage, we hear the words, all, everyone, together. God is saying to the church and he's saying to you, I want to use you. And some of you guys are like, okay, good. He's using them. And God is saying, no, I want to use you. And 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 if I can use him, I can use you. That's God's desire for you. We, if you are in Christ, you are part of the all. Because all means all. God wants to use you to further his kingdom, to make a difference. And this is not, this is not regimented like the Qumran community that had a bylaw that said you had to give your property up. You had to give your all. This is natural. This is organic through the spirit of God working in the people of God. I mean, they, they, they get it. And in verse 44, they, they're coming together and they're holding all things in, in common and they're selling things. They're selling possessions and giving to those as they had need because they understood that the mission of Christ involves everyone. That is the heart that we need. So let me ask, what part right now are you playing in God's redemptive plan? If we had a questionnaire and we said, you're going to take this home and you're going to pray over it. But give the top three things that God is doing through you right now in this local community of faith and in the community that is watching this local community of faith. What would be on your list? If nothing is there, it's not because God doesn't want to use you. Like God wants to use you in a great way. And you might be saying, well, I don't have talents. Devotion doesn't take talents. It requires heart. How are you going to be used by God? You say, well, I can't do anything but shake a hands. Well, maybe God is calling you to serve with our hospitality ministry, knowing that there are people who walk through these doors where, where they have had a fight in the car, in the parking lot, and they are screaming at each other, and they get to the door and they're, And it's the handshake of someone that says, man, we're so glad that you're here. And don't worry, I don't have it all together either. But that's why Jesus. And what if that one handshake was what God uses to break down the walls and the weight for that person to hear for the first time the good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe you say, well, 
there's nothing I can do. I, I just sit at home and do nothing. Do you know there are faithful men and women that come and they clean up these pews and they restock them with connect cards every single week? You don't even know they exist because I don't even see them. They just come when they can. But I encourage them. I say every single week someone takes one of those green cards and they put there a prayer request. Or they want to give their life to Jesus Christ. Or they want to take a next step of faith. And so because someone prayed and put a green card in that pew, someone else saw that and knew that they were cared for. Devotion doesn't take talents. It takes hearts. Maybe you say, well, the only thing I can do is rock babies. How many children have been rocked by people in this church who one day give their life to Jesus Christ? Because when they were an infant, they were prayed for. And they didn't even know it. But they had someone rocking them and praying for them. Or how many parents are here right now hearing the good news of Jesus Christ because someone is giving their time to watch their kid? What is God doing through you? And you say, well, I have no clue. I want to be used, but I don't know where. Take that green card out today that someone has spent time putting in that pew. Put it in the offering basket at the end, and we'll have people reach out to you. Say, here's a place. Here's a way. Here's a word. Here's a prayer. How is God using you? The mission of God involves everyone, and God is saying, I want to use you. So what happens when everyone is used by God? That is when the community looks and says, wow, what got into them? What is, what is the Lord doing at Bethel? There's some strange things happening there. People are just giving their time and they're just giving of their possessions and they act like their life is not their own. What's up? And we can say, well, we bought into the mission that God wants to use every single person for his glory and for our good. That is the power of the Holy Spirit's presence and witness was infectious in this early church. And the church enjoyed, listen to this, the church enjoyed in verse 47 the favor of all people because they saw what God was doing within them. And because the people of God were devoted to the ways of the Lord and they believed it and they bought in, this is what happened in verse 47. They found favor with people and every day people were added to their number. Now I left out an important word because I want to end right here. The power in all of this is not in you. It's not. It's not in me. We can join in one and we can give everything that we have for the good of every single person in here. And we can try our hardest and we can scream the loudest and we can do a decent job because I think we're decently smart, decently influential. But there's nothing that we can do to add one single person to the kingdom of God. You see, the power of God is not in us. It is through the Spirit. Look at verse 47 again. This is why it's so important that we have the Word of God and you don't take my word for it. It says that in that day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The Lord. And Hebrews says it this way. 
Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call upon him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing him? How will our community hear about Jesus unless we go? Unless we buy in to the fact that God, you can use me. I have a heart that one day every single person here will be serving him locally and going somewhere around the world every single year. I am foolish enough to believe that that's possible. I am foolish enough to believe that when people of God raise their hand and say, Lord, I don't know where, but I'm in. Lord, I don't know with what, but I'll go. I believe that God hears and honors that prayer. And I believe that when the people of God pray the prayer, God, we will be devoted to you daily that we might see a difference in our lives. That's when the Holy Spirit says, Josh, buckle up. Because I'm about to fill you with awe and wonder and joy and presence. And you know what? Yeah, you'll you'll receive favor with people, but that's not the greatest benefit. The greatest benefit is that the Lord will add to the kingdom daily. Because the people of God are doing what the Holy Spirit wants them to do. So let's go back to the Iditarod as we close. The race is the same, but the mission has changed. Today, the Iditarod is a sporting event because the race is no longer life-saving. What would happen in your life if you lived daily and said, God, This is a life-saving gospel, and I want to live that out. I don't want the sporting event. I don't want the ceremony. I don't want the charade. God, give me your spirit. Let me live and be devoted to what you have called me to be devoted to. Would you pray that prayer today? God, I'm in. Send me. We have mission opportunities. Go online, pick up one in the, on the table as you leave, but find a place to go and to serve and be a part of here, locally. We have some fantastic ministries that God is using to change the world here and also there. But maybe you're here right now and you, you cannot be devoted because you don't know Jesus Christ. I want you to know that devotion and a lifestyle of faith begins in a moment. And right now that moment could be yours. You have to believe that Jesus sent his only son to take your place, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that whoever believes in him will be saved. And then you have to do what Peter says. He simply says, what must I do to be saved? Repent. That's a simple way of saying, turn from you and turn to Jesus. It's worth it. He is willing and waiting for you so that he can say, welcome home. My son has provided the way. If that's you today, would you give your life to Christ? And we will have prayer partners here. They would love to pray with you and encourage you and to celebrate that with you today. Let's go to the Lord. Father.